You're listening to the Story Embers podcast, a podcast dedicated to guiding and inspiring Christian storytellers to glorify God with excellent craftsmanship. I'm your host, Grace Livingston, and welcome to our third episode, Our Favorite Contemporary Christian Authors. Today I am joined yet again by Story Ember stoppers Josiah DeGraff, Deus Lamb, and Brandon Miller, and they're going to be sharing some of their favorite contemporary Christian authors. Over the past couple episodes, we've explored the Christian fiction market as a whole and tackled some of the strengths and weaknesses of two of the major genres in Christian fiction when we discussed Christian fantasy and allegory. Now that we've started to kind of put down a foundation for what we think great Christian stories look like, what are some of the books or series you guys have read that you think exemplify some of those elements? So one of the authors that I really appreciate, and I've been reading him since really about middle school. I've been reading him through middle school, high school, and college because he's got a lot of different books at different levels. But that would be Stephen Lawhead. And Stephen, most of what he writes is speculative fiction, though he has done some historical fiction as well. So a lot of different stuff. I've probably read 15 or so of his books. I'm sure he has over 20 books out or so. Um, but there are a couple things that I really appreciate about the way that Stephen Lawhead does Christian fiction. One of the things he does in each of his books is he makes Christianity not feel familiar. Especially in speculative fiction, I feel like a lot of times, you know, Christianity just feels like you kind of took Christianity from this world and slapped it onto a different world without much careful consideration of, you know, what Christianity would actually look like in that world. And whenever he weaves, you know, Christianity into his stories, it feels unfamiliar in a way that gives me a different perspective on what our faith is. And it feels authentic. And it feels natural to the world. And it doesn't feel like a depiction of Christianity I've seen before, but it feels radically different. I think because he, you know, he uses his historical background to really think about how people in different cultures understand and practice Christianity. So it doesn't all feel like the same, you know, Western American form of Christianity. So between that and just doing some really authentic characters with some excellent worlds and plots. I've really appreciated some of the work that he does. And you said you read a lot of his books. Which ones would you say you enjoyed the most? You know, his series that I probably most enjoyed was his Celtic Crusade series. He's done several others I liked. Um, His uh, Empyrean series is sci-fi and is quite good. Um, But the Celtic Crusades is um, historical fiction with a bit of a supernatural thrown in there because it's during the Crusades, medieval times, where they them looking for these Christian relics that have possibly have powers to them. It's a, it's a bit unclear. But though, that is probably my favorite series of his. Uh, but I do also really like what I've read of his Skin Map series, which is this you know crazy world-hopping, kind of semi-time-traveling story that he's, uh, he's also written. I think actually the name is Bright Empires. Yeah, it's Bright Empires. Oh, so you've read Stephen Lawhead too, Brandon? Uh, yeah, I've read some of them. I read his um, King Raven and Raven King books, his Robin Hood retellings. I like them a lot. If you do read them, though, I can promise you probably the most underdeveloped romance that you've ever read. Because in the second book, Will Scarlet is the main character. And in one one scene, he like saves this girl. And then like 100 pages later, I'm not mentioning her, they're in love. And then like 50 pages later, they're married. And eventually they get a kid. 
So yeah, don't take that cue from him. That's not how you. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, I I enjoyed them, and my favorite author is uh, Nathan Wilson or N. D. Wilson is what he writes under. He's written the Hundred Cupboard series and the Ashtown Burials, uh, as well as a, a couple of standalone novels and and nonfiction. Um, what I like about Wilson's books is. First of all, his narrative voice is just fantastic and just fun to read. His fiction is for the secular market, but he writes in a way that really brings out and highlights just the beauty of the everyday world and contrasts that against the evils that we face in the same world, although they're fantasy and it's not in the same world most of the time. So I really appreciate uh, that about him. He just, reading his books makes you appreciate simple things in life, but they're also really exciting fantasy, you know, adventures. They're marketed as middle grade. They can be a little creepy for middle grade sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but but he does, a, I, I like the way that he writes them, you know, as a little creepy, not by saying things or, or, or writing it at any, in any way like a horror novel in that fashion, but just he contrasts this really beautiful world and then he puts this evil thing in it, kind of like um, Lord of the Rings and that you can really feel the presence of the evil in his books before good triumphs in the end. So my favorite book of his is Hundred Cupboards, which is the first book in his first series. And that's about a little boy who finds a hundred covers that lead to a hundred different worlds, et cetera, et cetera. And why do you like the first book in the series more than the second and third one, Brandon? Um, well, first of all, that's just how I roll. Almost always, I like the first book the most in any series ever. Mm. But I particularly like that first book because that's where they're finding out how the cupboards work they read like kids the most, the characters do. Henry and Henrietta, they mm. seem like kids the most in that book. Yeah, that's true. You wrote a great article for The Atlantic probably four or five years ago. I, I want to say the exact title is, you know, Why I Write Scary Stories for Children. <laughs> yes. It's a great article where he explains you know, the benefits of children reading these types of stories and how grown-ups think that, you know, kids aren't able to handle stories they actually can handle. Um, I just really appreciate the way he unpacked his storytelling process there. Huh. I'm now going to go look that up. And he also wrote two nonfiction books, Notes from a Tilted World and Death by a Living, and those are those are fun. They're very poetic. Yeah. Notes from the Tilted World may be my favorite of his books because, you know, it, you know, like he says, just so beautiful. I read that one in a day that I did not have time to read a page, but I started and then I was up very late <laughs> and it was a good day it was a good day all right so i'm gonna go a little different route and share about perhaps my favorite novelist who is actually dead but fairly contemporary uh, his name is alan Patton. so he wrote i think entirely about south africa which is where he spent most of his life i think what really stuck out to me when i read his most famous work which is cry the beloved country was the tone of the story which i would I've never read a book like it, but I would actually describe the tone as humble in a way, which was largely due to the uh, protagonist who is this, I believe, native um, South African pastor. But it's also just the way he views the world. 
And I think part of it is due to the, uh, the suffering he experienced as part of that South African, very troubled culture. I believe he was really humbled by the events that he was experiencing. And so the tone that comes across, and he's, a, he's an overtly Christian author, it focuses, I would say, it focuses on the beauty of the truth. It's very straightforward, but it's also very natural. And there's, above all, this sense of longing. And he describes this in his preface. Uh, I wish I had it here. I'd definitely read it to you. Basically, to overview, he, he says, the purpose of this book is like, I think, a love song towards this troubled land he lived in, looking forward to the new home you know, in, in heaven, where the things that were broken in South Africa, everything would be restored. And so the main emphasis is very emotional, and it's something he felt very deeply. And so I feel like from that thing that people can connect with very easily, upon that, he was naturally able to build some of his more direct points. And he's, he wrote a lot about you know, racism, family relationships, gang violence, prostitution, which is another thing I really appreciate about him is just that he tackled a lot of very touchy subjects. And he was renowned throughout the world by Christians and non-Christians for how well he handled those. And then he had a large impact. He was like, I know my mom read him in the public schools, which I think is pretty impressive. And he, he handled it all very directly in a very raw way, but also in a way that, you know, it has hope to it and uh, is, is very readable. Yeah, I think I'm about like 50 pages into it or so. It's really interesting. He has a, a very different like prose style with the dialogue and stuff. Yeah, it's very different. The anthology I just finished by him actually today, it's called Debbie Go Home. I think it's also published under Tales from a Troubled Land. The, the prose isn't quite as, as strange, but um, he has a very simple writing style, but he can communicate so much with so few words. I don't want to describe it, but he uses telling in a way that's showing. Like he says something that normally would not be okay to say because it's too blatant, but there's so much subtext behind it that it's really profound. So he's quite an impressive author, even just for his how to be very profound and simple at the same time. He's one of the best authors for that, just to study that. I love the ending, I think, most of all, To Cry the Beloved Country. It's one of the best endings I've, I've seen. It's kind of tragic. Um, no spoilers. It's not totally mew, tragic. Mew, it's mew, a little tragic. Mew, mew. I'm not saying what happens, okay? <laughs> okay, look, practically everything he writes is tragedy. Oh, my goodness. That's probably one reason I like him. You're just going to admit that? Yeah, I'm going to admit it. <laughs> I like tragedies. But they're good tragedies. They're not like, oh, I feel terrible tragedies. We're going to go to break now. And when we return, Josiah, Deus, and Brandon are each going to share another of their favorite contemporary Christian authors. Stay tuned. This week on our blog, Josiah DeGraff shares three lessons Christian storytellers can learn from adventures in Odyssey, and Cindy Green explores the power of the unspoken in her poem, Hidden Words. You can check these out and more at storyembers.org forward slash blog. Welcome back, everyone. I'm with SE staffers Josiah DeGraff, D.S. Lamb, and Brandon Miller, and we are discussing some of their favorite contemporary Christian authors. So far, we've mentioned Stephen Lawhead, Andy Wilson, and Alan Patton. We've talked about how they kind of stand apart from the crowd of contemporary Christian authors today. Josiah, do you want to go ahead and share your second author? Right. 
The second author I wanted to talk about today, and I've only read one of his books, so I still need to read more of him to to say if he is one of my favorite Christian authors, but I really like this this Christian novel and he and the way that he approached things. And so the author's name is is Chris Fabry. And the work that I've read by him is called The Promise of Jesse Woods. It won some award from uh, Christianity Today a couple years ago. And, and the reason that I, I appreciated it so much and, and really enjoyed it is because it, it's one of those books that really feels like a book that is actually you know aimed at Christians in its thematic message. It's not explicitly Christian, and we're trying to reach non-Christians with the evangelism message. But it really felt like a message that was particularly aimed at Christians since, you know, without spoiling much, it's about this guy who goes back to his hometown because he, he wants to, to save, uh, save his, his ex from a, a, a potentially bad marriage. And, and one of the things I, I love about the story is that many of us, you know, especially those of us who are Christians, you know, we want to go into situations and we want to kind of, we want to be the hero. We want to have be the deliverer, the person who's able to come in and set everything right. And one of the things you know the story is exploring is is that always a good thing? And, and and how and what does it look like to want to go in and right a wrong situation while also being humble and recognizing your own weaknesses? And I felt that at the end, you know, it explored it in a really profound way that I, that's one of the books. And one of the messages I felt like I needed to read as a Christian, it just, it, it knew who the audience was and it was trying to deal with themes that the audience struggled with. So Chris Fabry, Promise of Jesse Woods. I haven't read anything else by him, but Promise of Jesse Woods is great. You should go read it. And get this, it won the Christianity Today Award of Merit. Ah. I feel like that's a cop out of an award name if I've ever heard one. <laughs> I see Brandon is quicker on his Google uptake than I am. I was just sitting here listening to you talk. But you knew that it was an award of merit, unless you've just memorized all the award of merit winners for the past decade. I have. Actually, I just Googled the book title, and then authors tend to to get on soapboxes about what awards they win, (laughs) so it was not hard to find from there. I mean... To be honest, if I you know if I eventually get a book published and I get an award, I'm going on the soapbox for the. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this! It's not just my mom who likes my book. I, <laughs> I have authentication, validation to make me feel secure about my insecure writer self. <laughs> okay, well that was more than we wanted to know. I know. Someone else should start sharing so you don't hear more of my you know insecure thoughts. All right. Um, my second author that I want to talk about is uh, Nadine Brandis. She's written Fox, uh, which is a historical fantasy about the Fox conspiracy to blow up the king. And she's written um, the books that I want to talk about, the Out of Time series. Uh, they're sci-fi, dystopian. I bet you've never heard of anything like that before. Um, <laughs> but I really appreciate these books because, well, for two reasons. The first is they're they're Christian, explicitly Christian books, and they they address Christian teams, and they don't try and sell you a salvation message. But also, the the theme of the book is what to do with your life and how to spend your life best, and what to do when you don't feel like God is talking to you and you're not sure what direction you're supposed to go. And and these are all highly re- relatable themes, I think, for Christian teenagers. 
And I know some friends that read them and they're like, oh my goodness, Parvin's internal angst and struggles are super annoying. And they can be, they can be. But there's also the story itself is it keeps getting interrupted with very unexpected things and explosions and it's completely unpredictable. I I would have to cover the page of the last chapter (laughs) so that I didn't read whatever happened at the end because I knew it was going to be a big story altering thing and it usually was. And I just, I loved the end of every chapter in the book, in the, in the whole series. So that's my second favorite. And she's got a new book coming out next year, and I am excited. Nice. Fox is one of those great examples in my mind of Christian allegory done well to kind of tie it to a previous episode topic. Most allegories I feel like I read and, you know, I know it's going to happen, but I want to write an article about that at some point because there's just so much that Fox does very excellently, and that I love. Please don't do it before I read it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Fox is written actually for the for the secular market too, right? As opposed to the Out of Time series, so that's cool that she's done both, and I think done both very well. All right, um, I guess I'll move on to my other favorite contemporary author, which would be I'm gonna have to pick Andrew Peterson for this one. Um, and Andrew Peterson's a pretty popular guy, um, but he deserves to be mentioned yet again. <laughs> Um, so some reasons I like Andrew Peterson's work, which by the way is the Wing Feather Saga. It's a middle grade sort of uh, fantasy epic. One thing that's already been mentioned is with Andy, uh, sorry, Andy Wilson writing scary stories for kids. Andrew Peterson's kind of the same way, where it's not you know it's not horror, but the villains can be a little creepy, especially for that age. And of course, it's not purposeless. It's not there just for shock value. He does it really to make kids get serious. Uh, and as they engage with the fact that this is a very serious book, then it drives them to consider you know, the character arcs that are evolving over the story as well. So I appreciate that quite a bit. I also love his creative wonder. Uh, you know, the, the prose, prose quality in that work is not amazing, but it's still super enjoyable just because you can tell he really loved writing this book. And it flowed over. And uh, you know, he creates all sorts of crazy creatures like uh, you know, toothy cows, but it's also... You know, the characters are are very fun and creative scenarios, the world building, the whole historical plan that's been worked out throughout the epic. And then I guess the final thing that really stands out to me would be the the allegorical element. And we talked before about allegory on this podcast, and he's a pretty good example, I think, of how to do that well. The thing I do appreciate about it is that it is predictable in a way, but even still, when it comes about, it doesn't lose its power. It's very effective. I also appreciate that he doesn't fall, I guess, the standard pattern. I don't want to get too deep into this because it would be a major spoiler if I got into technicalities of exactly what he did. But basically, he has uh, he kind of rides the thin line between allegory and symbolism where it's not quite a strict allegory, but all the beauty and all the truth of that exact event that he's paralleling are expressed through the, um, the allegory he used, even though it's not really a strict allegory by any means. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. And thank you listeners for tuning in. As always, you can learn more about today's panelists by visiting storyembers.org forward slash without. Now it's your turn. Who are some of your favorite contemporary Christian authors? Be sure to let us know in the comments. Join me again next time as Josiah and SE staffers Hope Ann and Rolina Hatfield 
tackle writing habits and disciplines on the next episode of the Story Embers podcast.